Hi, my name is Michael Carlin, and this is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas. I'm your host, Will Rucker, and today's guest is an absolutely awesome human being, none other than Michael Carlin of Compassionate Integrity Training from Life University. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Wow. So I have had the privilege of actually facilitating this program in your presence and your insights and observations are so keen. It is absolutely incredible to see. So I just want the audience to know they have the the compassionate master on the podcast today. Well, thank you for those kind words. And I'll just say that, uh, you are an incredible facilitator. I'm sure people who listen to this podcast know, but just amazing the work that you did in that uh, in that course is remarkable, and I can't wait to see you out there bringing this to lots and lots of people around the world. Well, thank you. That is certainly very kind. So the first question I ask is something I try to ask pretty much every guest, and I, I can't wait to hear your response to this. And the question is simply, how do you define compassion? Uh, so I define compassion as the the desire or the motivation, the wish to alleviate the suffering of another. It's it's basically that simple. And it's um and what we do is as you know in CIT we focus on it being a motivation. It's a it's a drive, but it doesn't necessarily tell us what to do. Like there may be many many ways to bring your compassion into the world. There's no one right way for every person. And so that's why it's really f- important for us to focus on it as a motivation, as something that you can cultivate and in, really in an unlimited way. You can cultivate more and more and more and more for wider and wider and wider groups of people. And, uh, and then figuring out how to bring that into the world is a whole other step. But that's, that's the definition. I love it. I think that that's fantastic. I like the fact that you highlight that it's a motivation. And so it goes deeper than the actual action. It's really what is behind the action because a compassionate action could look different based on context. And I think that that's important to, to recognize. Why is compassion important, especially right now? Well, compassion's important, um, in general, just because there is unfortunately a lot of suffering in the world. There's a lot of wonderful things. I think one of the things that we um, we take for granted is how many wonderful, beautiful things there are going on in the world at all times. Uh, so that's one side of the equation. But at the other side is there's real legitimate suffering out there. And I think it's incumbent on all of us to try to alleviate that suffering in any way that we can. Um, one of the the things that I think it's rooted in is these kind of twin pillars of common humanity and interdependence. And those are the two things I think that motivate us to really need to have compassion. And I'll I'll explain that a little bit by saying that common humanity is that idea that each and every one of us is a human being that is seeking greater well-being and less suffering. And in that way, we are all the same. 
We have far more that joins us than separates us. And by seeing that, we can see that other people deserve a, a good life and deserve to have well-being just like I do. But on the other side, there's also interdependence, which is the reality that I benefit from and need every one of those individuals in order to live my life. And so part of my cognitive distortion or thinking trap that we call it is that I am an individual, that I'm self-sufficient, that I can do everything on my own, that most of, if not all of what I accomplish in life is due to my own decisions and my own actions. And the reality is so, so far from that, right? The fact is, is that everything that I do, every step I take, every moment I live, I'm living within an interdependent web of billions of human beings and the natural world too, that are enabling me to be here. So just like we, you just had your coffee, I have my coffee, right? Just simply this coffee, it required the cup, the, the coffee itself, the technology in order to bring it to me, in order to brew it, all of those things required hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. But yet I wake up in the morning, I go bleary eyed down to the, you know, the coffee machine. I pour in my coffee. I drink it. I don't think a thing in the world about those people. So the interdependence, though, is if we can recognize that in a, in a really insightful way, deep way, then what we see is that these are not just others that maybe I need to throw a coin to every once in a while because they're suffering. These are the very fabric of who I am. These are part of who I am. I don't survive or thrive without them. So seeing that common humanity, deeply appreciating that interdependence really means that I'm going to then naturally have that motivation to want to alleviate the suffering of the others. I, so just the same way I don't need to cultivate a motivation to alleviate the suffering of my child, I, I can start to cultivate a recognition that everybody in the world is just like my child or my brother or my father or my mother. They're all my family. And so... Anyway, so that's why I think it's incumbent on all of us to have compassion. And then, as you said, today is a day uh, in the world where things are kind of chaotic and there's maybe a little bit more suffering going on um, in this moment. One other distinction, and I won't, I won't ramble on this too long, but I think it's really important to understand that there is physical suffering and then there's emotional suffering. And I think a lot of what we're seeing in the world today is a manifestation of emotional suffering. Um, so I think we have to try to find ways to address both with our compassion. Wow, I mean, all of that is is deep and we could go even deeper into each of the pieces that you brought up, but I love how you just highlight the fact that even something as simple as a cup of coffee can be a reminder that we are all truly interconnected. And that gives us the framework for really making compassion second nature in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you brought in some concepts from the actual compassionate integrity training. So before we get too far ahead, I just wanna lay a framework for what that is, how it came into being and why you actually got involved with it. Sure, so compassionate integrity training is a um, course that teaches three basic domains. It teaches self-compassion, through a series on self-cultivation. It then teaches compassion for others. And then finally, as we said, what you end up with with compassion for others is a motivation 
to alleviate the suffering of another. So therefore, the final and third series that we offer is Engaging in Systems, which is a course on how do we bring our compassion into the world in a wise way by cultivating what we call discernment. Um, so the basic framework there is that we have to first tend to ourselves, the age old adage of putting the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on another, so that we have a sense of calm and equanimity and a little bit greater self-compassion. And then we use that as the basis for which we can then move towards compassion for others and then finally engaging in systems. So that's compassionate integrity training. It's typically uh, facilitated as a 10 part. So each one of those is broken down into subparts, and there are specific skills, concepts, practices that go along with each one of the steps along that journey that brings us to self-compassion, compassion for others and systems. So that's, that's the basics of the course. The, um, the reason that I got into this was because I, I saw suffering in the world. Um, I was originally in the business world. I was very caught up in what we call in CIT, the eight worldly concerns, which are things like motivation for money and status and praise and physical pleasures and things of that nature. And at a very young age, I was blessed with, with success in the, in the business world. And yet I continued to feel this sense of, of dissatisfaction, of it never being enough, of recognizing that I was pouring my heart and mind and energy and, and soul into this work. And yet at the end of the day, it was really only about changing numbers on a balance sheet or moving money from one place to another and that there wasn't anything really deeper there. And so at an early age, I decided to go explore and figure out um, how I could try to help alleviate the suffering that I saw in the world. And ultimately, um, making a long story short, my journey uh, led me to rec recognizing that I needed to be more educated, uh, which led me to a PhD program at Emory University. I got my PhD. And at that point, I recognized that there's a way to bring um, some of the wisdom of, of thousands of years of spiritual traditions into conversation with the greatest um, currents in psychology and scientific neuroscience and cognitive psychology, and to bring those things together in such a way that we could create a program like CIT. And I will say CIT is based on other incredible programs that are out there already, like um, CBCT, Cognitively Based Compassion Training, MBSR, uh, other programs that are already in, in, in the world, but we, we wanted to make our own uh, take our own take on it for very specific reasons, which we can go into. Yeah, that's that's really actually kind of a cool story. So you, it, it wasn't that something happened and you like needed to fix the world. It was you just really recognized within yourself, like there's more to life than what I'm experiencing, even though you had a a good life. Yeah, absolutely. There's a uh, a quote by Joseph Campbell, uh, the great mythographer, who uh, which sticks with me often. And he says, uh, sometimes you get to the top of the ladder and realized you leaned it against the wrong wall. And so uh, I was very fortunate to recognize that very early in my life in terms of my career. And I wasn't 60 or 70 years old at the top of that ladder looking back going, wait, that was the wall I wanted to climb. And now there's no more time to climb it. I was able early on to say, I'm climbing down this ladder and climbing up a different one. So. 
Beautiful. Wow. Now, one of the things that drew my attention was that this is based in secular ethics. Yes. And so as a pastor, everything I do is theological and religious and spiritual. But this program had secular ethics, which has a, a slightly different meaning in my world than I think it does for Life University. Yes. But why was it chosen instead of a term like universal or common or something like that? Yeah, so we, we actually based that on um, the, a concept that came from the Dalai Lama. So he was the first one to coin it. And the idea is that he's based right now in India. And in India, the concept of secular means it's open to all religions and, and no religion. So it's really kind of based in, in the Indian constitution, if you will, following on the, the theories of Gandhi where they wanted to ensure and enshrine in their constitution the idea that religion is is wonderful and good, but no one religion should have ascendancy over any other. And those that don't have any religion at all should also be part of that conversation. And so what the Dalai Lama used, when he uses that word secular, he doesn't mean as opposed to religion or separate from religion. He means it as inclusive of all religion and no religion. And he uses a metaphor, which I really, really love, which is that secular ethics is like water and religion is like tea. So if you think about it, there's hundreds of different teas in the world or probably more than that. And those teas are really nutritious and, and delicious and they add a lot of life to the water, right? But everyone has their own preference and everyone decides on the tea that they like, but they all need water. And so in his mind, these kinds of, as you said, universal ethics, things like compassion, forgiveness, gratitude, they actually are, are critical to all religion and people who want to live a life that without religion. And yet they are enhanced by and can be expressed through different religious traditions, just like tea is a way of expressing water in a new and different way and adds to it in various ways. So that's kind of what he means by the word secular. That's beautiful. And you mentioned tea, which is one of my favorite things. So I'm sitting here like, yay, tea. Because there <laughs> are so many different kinds. I probably have a hundred in my right now. And it, but it's amazing because with tea, it's and I'm probably going into a tangent that the audience cares nothing about, but I care. So we're gonna talk about it. That's what's important. But with tea, even the temperature of the water determines the flavor. So yeah. if water's too warm, you can literally ruin the, the flavor and the notes in the tea. And yeah. some teas do well with a sugar sweetener. Others are, are better with honey. And then even then, some people have a preference with no sweetener, nothing added to it at all. The length of time the tea is in the water makes a huge difference. The amount of tea in the water. So I think I'm, I'm going to borrow this and elaborate on it and use it in, in my ser sermon on Sunday. So thank you. You're fantastic. <laughs> well, and, and I think maybe where you're going with this and just, to, you know, let's beat the metaphor to death here is the idea that in some ways you see how certain traditions, whether they're they're ideologies that are part of religion or not, or even secular, quote unquote, ideologies, the, uh, the water, the concept like compassion or forgiveness or whatever can be distorted, right? It can be, the temperature can be turned up too high. The, the, the ingredients can be messed up in such a way that those things get then used for um, ill, ill um, purposes, right? And so I think th that kind of gets back to this idea of going back to the idea of, of we talked about compassion, 
Um, but as you'll notice, the course is called compassionate integrity training, right? So the idea of that compassionate integrity is the idea that we have to have integrity. We have to live a life according to our values, but those values aren't just any values, right? There are unfortunately many figures in the world and throughout history that you could say had a lot of integrity, right? They had a, they had a value system. They lived in accordance with those value systems. And then they hurt a lot of people and caused mass destruction. The problem was, is that that integrity wasn't combined with compassion and particularly not a compassion that was rooted in these ideas of interdependence and common humanity. So that compassionate integrity is a way of maybe making sure that the water stays at the right temperature and that the ingredients are done well. So that as it's part of, of these different traditions, these different teas, that it's expressed in a way that is more universal and is, is, uh, helps all people in the world. I love it. That is so good. And here with Compassionate Las Vegas, we are infusing compassion into existing pillars of uh, interest within our communities. When we began, we were just a small grassroots movement, just really trying to figure out how we could help. That was our driver, like what yeah. could really help. And so when we came out with the idea that you know we're going to focus on these major areas, other organizations that were already focused on that kind of asked us like, well, you know, why are you you doing this? We already do this type of work. And so our answer has simply been, we want to make sure that compassion is infused within how we're approaching these various areas because it makes a huge difference. It really, really does. Yeah. And the self compassion piece, I think, is is where it really gets its foundation, which is why I believe the program probably leads with that. Can you elaborate just a bit more on compassionate integrity and what that really means? Yeah. So com again, compassion and integrity is this idea that we want to live in accordance with our values, but we want to make sure that those values are not just any values because some of those values are distorted, right? Our, it starts with a kind of a premise that for, for various very good reasons over the course of our evolution, we have distorted reality in order to survive. So for example, one simple example is that if I'm about to cross the street and I look and see a car coming my way, I will see that car as closer to me than it actually is. Well, why? Well, it's, it's safer for me to think it's closer to me and not go across the street than it would be to think it's farther away or even maybe exactly where it is because I might get hit. So there's no loss to me to see it as closer, but that's a distortion of reality. Now, in that case, it actually is very beneficial. In some areas, it can be very harmful. And in one of those areas, for example, like in-group bias, that's something that can be very, very harmful because what it means is I start to think of myself in a very insular way because of fear, because of the need for survival and things like that. I don't see you as my brother because you don't live within my family or within my city or within my state or within my country, however it is we want to define my in-group. So that's a distortion of reality. So when we think of compassion and integrity is we want to balance that compassion and that integrity with the idea that we are interdependent, that we have common humanity, that we have this sense that those are distortions that we can overcome. And so that's why compassion and integrity is so important is that we want to lead lives of value, lead lives that where we are living in accordance with that value, but making sure that those are checked by compassion and interdependence and, and these ideas of reciprocity and things of that nature. So I, I want to touch on one other thing because you brought it up, which is uh, the importance of bringing this work into other sectors. And you just touched on self-compassion, and I think that's a critical area, right? Because we see so many people doing such wonderful work in the world that experience burnout, and they just 
they just feel like they're giving and giving and giving. And it's, it's really hard when you meet the suffering in the world and it sometimes feels like you can't overcome it. And eventually you start to burn out. So self-compassion is very important to that. But the other thing too, is, is this idea of cultivating that motivation of compassion, the idea that that's, what's driving the work as opposed to, we can, people can do very good things in the world out of very bad motivations, if you will. So for example, the need to have my name on a building or the need to get praised as, wow, that's Michael. He's the one who does all that work with compassion or he helps those people who are experiencing homelessness or whatever. And yet if compassion isn't truly there, once I recognize that the status and the praise and the name on the building and all those things, once I realize that that's not going to really do it for me, I might turn away from that work and go, well, I don't need that anymore. So if I'm truly motivated by that wish to alleviate the suffering of another, then I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep at it until I see change in the world. Yeah. I think that's important to highlight for sure. And it's, it's one of those things where if you do have that, that intrinsic motivation, it's a lot easier to keep going because one thing I discovered is contentment is more profitable than abundance. And what I mean by that is abundance never is there's enough, never is enough. But when you find contentment, you know, that equilibrium, you know, all of that really allows you to live a, a life that is balanced and enjoyable, no matter what state you find yourself in. So whether your name is on the billboard for praise or censure, <laughs> you're, you're still the same person at the end of the day and you go home and sleep well. So exactly I, right. I think that's so important. Now, tell me a little bit more about Life University, because that's where the program is originating. And I just happen to love the name of the university, but I don't know much else about it. So, So, yeah, Life University actually started as a chiropractic university and continues to be the largest chiropractic university in the world um, and with a single campus. It's the biggest campus and is a, a true leader in the area of chiropractic. But over the years, in the last 25 years or so, it began to recognize that there was kind of a spirit behind chiropractic that they could expand into other programs. And that basic spirit is an idea of vitalism, that all human beings, that all life in a way has innate potential. And that a lot of that innate potential is blocked by various things in the, in the realm of chiropractic, which I'm not really that involved in, but in the area of chiropractic, the idea is that there are certain uh, blockages within the nervous system that prevent us from having a full, expressing our full potential. But the other area they, they recognize is that in our, in our mental state, there are blockages that prevent us from living out our full potential. And those blockages can be things like thinking traps, like we talked about before. So the idea of the university is really through multiple different programs, whether it's in its positive psychology program, its business program, its chiropractic program, and and various different master's degrees. The idea is to figure out how we appreciate all human life, all life as having potential, and that how do we unleash that potential for the benefit of the world and so that we can really make the world a better place. So that's why CIT kind of fit really well within the, um, the belief system and the ideology of the university. 
Yeah, that's so fascinating. I would have never guessed it would start with a chiropractic university. And it just reminds me I need to, to schedule an appointment for myself here too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wow. Yeah, we it, we had a visionary, um, you know, a very visionary president about, uh, I mean, he was with the university for a very long time. He's now um, retired, but uh, he maybe about 10 years ago started to see how the interface between the belief system or the the um, the animating force behind the idea of chiropractic, how it married up with positive psychology. So instead, similar to where how the chiropractic world looks at how do you unleash that potential? There's nothing wrong with you. We just want to remove interferences and how that relates to the medical profession, which is more about like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Um, that same kind of idea in positive psychology, which is it's not about pathologizing you and what's wrong with you. It's about what are the ways in which you can live in a, a more enhanced life, a, a better life. And so when he saw those together, he realized that he wanted to push the university into these programs in positive psychology and things like that. And that's how I ended up at the university and we started all the work we're doing, which, by the way, a great expression of that is through uh, the program that we do called the Shalon Project, where we create we, we have two advanced degree or um, uh, college level degree programs for incarcerated women in Georgia. And uh, we have graduated several cohorts of students through our AA program and are now uh, in the final stages of having our first cohort come out with their BS in psychology. And the idea, again, is that all people have the ability to express their innate potential and that we wanted to enable those those women in that particular um, facility to express that. We'd love to be able to spread that even farther. Wow, that's important work. And I love that you're doing that where you're doing it, you know, where it's starting, because, wow. I, I had no idea about that. So thank you for introducing that program. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah. And you've mentioned the the pop psychology piece a couple of times. That that idea has gotten kind of a bad rap and it's been uh, kind of thought of as foo-foo or, or whatever you may. But yeah. when I found that this was a legitimate way of viewing the world, it really allowed me to feel a bit more validated as a human being because I always approach life with there's, there's nothing wrong with you. And I'll tell people like, you're absolutely perfect just as you are. We just need to get you to who you are. <laughs> like, and, and sometimes that, you know, especially in the religious background I come from, uh, there's a lot of guilt and shame and, you know, we got to fix you and change and, and all of that. Yeah. So it, it didn't fly very far in those circles. But as I've studied a bit more and I'm, I'm no expert by any means, what I, but what I've really come to see is this is an empowering way to, to view the world. And we all see the world through our own lens and framework and whatnot. But this particular one really allows us to start from a place of strength and value and worth, which for me has allowed me to see everyone from a place of value and worth instead of saying, oh, these are the good people. These are the bad people. It, yeah, it really exactly. People, people. And my new phrase is like, yeah, people are peopling right now and that's okay. <laughs> but yeah. But can you share how Absolutely. you how you do that and and some maybe some of the misconceptions that that you've heard or experienced? Yeah, and I think so while Life University has this program in positive psychology, interestingly, CIT is not 
exclusively based on positive psychology. And I think a lot of the critique of positive psychology is actually is actually valid. But I think that whole uh, area of psychology has matured a lot from its early days. And I think in the early days, like a lot of areas of research, there was a lot of confirmation bias. There was a lot of, you know, um, ideology that was was being thrown out there and then research to try to match that ideology, um, things like that. But I think as any discipline, as it's expanded, as it's matured, as it's gotten peer reviewed, it's been critiqued in a way that has helped it become more mature. And I think, so I think there, some of those early critiques I think are really relevant and I think were helpful. Um, CIT is based in part on positive psychology, but it's also based on contemplative science, neuroscience, developmental psychology, peace studies, conflict transformation. Really what we wanted to do is make it an interdisciplinary view of the world. And as you said, it really comes down to us to how do you experience it, right? We're not trying to create CIT to say, well, this is the way you need to be as a person. These are the practices that you need to do. What we're saying is, well, here's a concept. Here are some practices. Try it out. How's it working out for you, right? Is it working out for you better to feel like I'm a broken person and there's something wrong with me and I need to fix it? Or is it better to think of myself as a human being just like everybody else? And as you said, people are peopling, right? So sometimes I, I'm, I'm just peopling every day, right? And sometimes that means I make mistakes. Sometimes that means I distort reality and don't recognize that I distort reality. Sometimes it means I do wonderful, beautiful things. And actually... I normally do wonderful, beautiful things, just like everybody else. And that's a wonderful thing. So as you said, that's a way I choose to, to be in the world. And it's working out pretty well, not in the way that I'm trying to distort reality in the other way, right? It's not like I want to live my life in a Pollyanna fog where I think everything's just great when things are falling apart all around me. It's that I want to try to navigate my view to being one that is closer to reality, that says there are really beneficial things and there are harmful things, both in the way I view the world and in the way others view the world. And that's that's all very normal. And now how do we motivate ourselves and continue to practice so that we can enhance those beneficial things and try to minimize those, those harmful things? Yeah, or kind of the uh, idea of a toolkit or yes. a toolbox where you have the different tools for when you need them and whichever one works best for your application. That's the one that you, Hey, use that. Exactly. Exactly. That's great. I, I love that. I talked about tools as if I use them, you know, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> what is this thing? I don't know what it's used for. Right. <laughs> it's hard. That's why I know we're going to hit it. <laughs> exactly. I think everything can be a hammer, right? As long That's as it's right. hard. <laughs> Right. And if, it, if it's got a hammer, then this other thing must be a nail. That's how exactly. I exactly. <laughs> so in our last few moments together, I, I'd like to just to finish a few sentences for me. Sure. So I'll give you a start of the phrase and whatever pops in, you just finish that. Compassion means. Alleviating the suffering of another. Compassion is important because. There's too much suffering in the world. Suffering causes me to? To harm others. I feel loved when? I feel part of a community. 
community is? Community is connection. And last one, life is. Beautiful. We actually have a festival here in Las Vegas called Life is Beautiful. So I love oh, really? it. Really? <laughs> we might, might spit that out as a promo for the festival. <laughs> <laughs> I need to come visit. <laughs> yes. Well, we do got to get you here after, after COVID has passed and whatnot. Yeah. I'm uh, we'd love to, to have you here in, in Las Vegas. I, I found this place to be beyond my wildest expectations. I've been coming since I was a child. I've lived here now just about six years. And it has been such a fruitful place for me. I really found a centering here. But I was talking with my mom actually just yesterday. And she was sharing with me that her and my father had discussed moving to Vegas when I was still in the womb. And then, you know, shortly after birth, because the church that my father belonged to was actually starting a location here. So they were going to come and be a part of that. And that's been, we won't say how many years. You're right, but, exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's 15 been years ago. <laughs> yeah, you know, a cu- couple months back. That's exactly. It- <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's great. Yeah, I've heard just, you know, obviously there's there's people's preconceived notion of what Las Vegas is. And then when I've heard and talked to the people like yourself and others that are doing the work that you're doing there, it's just remarkable. And I think it's uh really changed my perception of it. And I think it's a wonderful, wonderful place. I can't wait to be there. Yes, looking forward to having you. So my last question for you today is simply this, how are you embodying compassion in the world today? Um, I would like to think uh, that through CIT and the idea of being able to help others experience greater self-compassion and cultivate more compassion and action is a way of my expressing it into the world. So that's my, that's my deepest hope, at least. Awesome. Well, I may be a bit biased, but I think you are doing that and so much more. You are such a light to the Thank world so much. program. It's, it's powerful. So how do people connect with you and CIT? So the best way to connect is through our website, which is www.compassionateintegrity.org. Um, and then to reach out to info at compassionateintegrity.org. And that's the best way to, to reach us here. And we can answer any questions and plug you into programs and hopefully have people join our community. Perfect. Well, we'll put that in the description for the podcast as well. So I want to thank you for your time today and for giving us a glimpse behind the curtain into CIT and what it accomplishes and its aim and its foundation. I've learned, even though I've been through the, the program, through the training and all of that multiple times, it's it's something I still learn something new every time I hear it. So I'm just really appreciative of you and the program. And with that i think we can leave it there thank you so much it was a great pleasure coming up on compassionate las vegas the podcast people come to vegas by definition for another shot a lot of times right and so vegas is always becoming and if there's a place in america that can help us see what is ahead of us it is a place like las vegas